<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Thea Harper and I are back here in the Howard Stern Tower, high above Gotham, for 781 days since March 12th, 2020. I have been doing this from home, um, and I moved, so from both places, and I've done this from so many hotel rooms when I've traveled for work. And it's amazing to be back in the chair that I last sat in on March 12th. Uh, that, that was the day that Donald Trump gave an address from the Oval Office uh, saying falsely that the government would pay for everyone's COVID treatment. And the White House had to backtrack and cover that up right away. At the same time Trump was giving that speech, Sarah Palin was on The Masked Singer. That's why I remember the night very well. It was my son's eighth birthday. We had just had a cupcake party for him in second grade. He's more than halfway through fourth grade now and turned 10. He had, he had just turned eight. And, and uh, Chewbacca and R2-D2 had just been here the day before for the home video release of Star Wars Episode Nine, This is how long ago it's been since we've been here. 781 days since we broadcast. We are in our normal studio, and uh, it's amazing to be back. The place is completely empty. I feel like Will Smith and his dog walking around up here. We've come back a couple of times. A couple times. We, we've had some pre-tape auditions, we've uh, interviews we've done, and I had a photo shoot here, and I, I came back to do a great town hall special with little Steven Van Zandt. But it's really remarkable. Um, to be back. The current COVID-19 alert level in New York City is now medium, which means the risk of COVID-19 is increasing. I just want to give my thanks to everyone at SiriusXM for letting us begin a hybridized return. Uh, Thea, I'm, I, I love working with you, and I am so honored that you would come back and that you're here. Uh, Chris, Chris doesn't care, guys. Chris is still in South Carolina. He's enjoying his Confederate lifestyle, and he will be still running this show from the South Carolina Bureau. But uh, for Yeehaw! now, there you go. The Duke boys are on the run from Boss Hog. Um, and, and we're not going to have any guests in studio for the first couple weeks. We're going to wait and see how safe this is and how everything is. But I want to thank everyone at SiriusXM, at, at SiriusXM Progress, and here in the Howard Stern Tower for um, doing all the work it took over a long time. We had so many return to studio dates, guys. In the last two years, they've told us so many times we're coming back to work on this date. And then Delta came, and then they set a new date, then Omicron came, and then BA2 came, and then I got COVID. My whole family had COVID last month. So um, it's a thrill to be back. I wish I had better news. I want to talk about the White House Correspondents' Dinner because I was there. 
and and again, I invite you all to you know say hi anytime. If you're listening to us live, please, uh, you can call us any evening at 866-997-GRIT. If you're listening on demand or on the app or the John Fuglesang podcast, you can always write to us at uh, the Facebook show, the Facebook page, I mean, for Tell Me Everything or uh, johnfuglesang.com. Um, before I get to talking about my time in D.C. over the weekend, you may have heard, we, we just got this news a few minutes ago from the time we are going live, that the Supreme Court has voted to strike down the Roe versus Wade decision. This is according to uh, a draft majority opinion written by Samuel Alito that was circulated around the court and uh, obtained by Politico, which is a tasteful way of saying someone leaked it to Politico. And in the words of Politico, the draft opinion is a full-throated, unflinching repudiation of the 1973 decision, which guaranteed federal constitutional protections of abortion rights, and a subsequent 1992 decision, I remember that one, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that largely maintained the right. And Alito says Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Alito saying exactly what he was hired to say. Thank you, George W. Bush. He writes, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Now, Politico points out that justices sometimes can and do change their votes as these draft opinions circulate. And these major decisions can be subject to multiple drafts. And sometimes things can change up until days before a decision is released. This is not official. And this court's ruling is not final. It's not going to be published. We've been hearing most likely in August. Now it'll most likely be in June or July. This was drafted in February. And what this ruling does is end a guarantee that's lasted for half a century that the government cannot get between a woman and her doctor, that the government cannot force a woman to give birth if she doesn't want to. This would, and, and each state gets to decide whether to restrict or ban abortion. Um, there may have already been changes to this draft. We don't know. We don't know who leaked it. But Politico points out no draft decision in the history of the court has been disclosed publicly while a case was still pending. The unprecedented revelation is bound to intensify the debate over what was already the most controversial case on the docket this term. They're not against big government, folks. We already knew that. Republicans like to say that, but they're not. They want a government that can regulate a woman's womb. They want a government that can force a woman to give birth to her rapist child or her father's child. Men are the reason unwanted pregnancies happen. Men are the cause of pregnancies. It's not two ways. Women only can conceive a couple days a month. Men can do it all day long. And men have decided that women have to do what men decide. It offers an extraordinary window into their deliberations. And this is, of course, one of the most consequential cases before the court in our lifetimes. And you can thank Donald Trump for it. You can thank all the pure liberals who were too pure to vote for Hillary Clinton in swing states. 77,000 votes, was it? In three states that allowed a reality show racist landlord clown to appoint three shills to the court. Every liberal who was too pure to suck it up and vote for Hillary Clinton in a swing state, we can thank for this. Now, we've known this is going to happen. 
we, we thought it would be death by a thousand cuts. They would just cut away at abortion rights without actually overturning the precedent. But this shows in the draft the court is looking to completely reject all the logic behind Roe and take away the legal protections women have had in this country for 50 years. And of course, it was the big five, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and Samuel Alito. They have voted. Decades and decades of lies from these justices about respect for precedent. We don't legislate from the bench. Decades of lies. We knew it was at the time. Decades of bad faith arguments from the Susan Collinses, who said, well, they say they respect precedent. Susan Collins lied when she said she respected women's health rights. She didn't. She voted for Kavanaugh. She voted for Amy Coney Barrett. She voted for Gorsuch. Um, we know that Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan are all working on dissents. No one knows how John Roberts is going to vote. He has become a very superfluous chief justice. He really enjoyed being the swing vote for a number of years. We don't know where he'll come down. This was labeled a first draft of majority opinion. And this will rule in favor of Mississippi. In that case, that has the state trying to ban most abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Now, they're going to ban most abortions. And once this ruling comes out and becomes the law of the land, you will see dozens of states activate their trigger laws. The right of a woman to determine her fate, to not have a child she doesn't want to have, to terminate a pregnancy in the first trimester, it's going to go away overnight. And I want to remember one thing before we move on. A lot of news is going to come out about this. Um, I'm going to be telling you a lot. The Bible's not against abortion. And in the fights you'll be having with your coworkers and your relatives and your loved ones and those douchebag friends from high school you still talk to on Facebook and don't know why, Bible's not against abortion. Jesus's religion of Judaism is not against abortion. Abortions are legal in Israel right now. Abortions are free in Israel. Jesus was against the death penalty. Not against abortion. God says life begins with first breath in Genesis. God makes sure that you understand that fetuses are property in Exodus. And that he values a woman's life more than a fetus in Exodus. God does, in fact, give abortion tips for unfaithful pregnant wives in Book of Numbers chapter 5. You don't have to believe in this stuff, but Christianity is the bullshit reason they're using to take this right away from women. Under his eye, right? We have to be able to fight back with everything we've got. I want to thank Samuel Alito because I didn't think the Democrats would be able to motivate people to show up and vote in the midterms this year. It appears the Supreme Court justices just did. And I want to point out one more thing. Of the five justices we know who are ending Roe v. Wade right now, four of them were appointed by presidents the majority of U.S. voters rejected. This is important to remember. They do not speak for the majority. In 2000, the American people picked Al Gore. The Electoral College picked George W. Bush. And in 2016, the American people picked Hillary Rodham Clinton. The Electoral College picked Donald Trump. And Amy Coney Barrett... <laughs> uh, Neil Gorsuch is in a stolen seat. The first black president was also the first president not allowed an up or down vote on his duly appointed nominee. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh lied under oath. He perjured himself in his hearings. <laughs> Oh, and the fifth one, Clarence Thomas, he was appointed by George H.W. Bush, who did win fair and square in 1988. But keep in mind, he was appointed by a president who opposed the 1964 Civil Rights Act, 
Okay, so just remember the legitimacy of this ruling. Four of the five were appointed by presidents the majority of voters rejected, and the fifth was appointed by a man who opposed the Civil Rights Act. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So let's get going. Um, We'll be talking about this all night. And I look forward to your calls uh, and your emails if you're listening on podcast. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and I came here prepared to do it, and God damn it, we're going to do it. Because I walked into that thing very cynical. Very cynical. I was waiting online outside. I, I went to D.C., hopped the train down. I cut half my hair off to look more presentable, and hopped a train car, went down to D.C., and I hadn't been in Washington, D.C., friends, since the fall of 2019. It was so great to be back. I love D.C. I spent a lot of time there. Uh, when I worked for Current TV, I was there all the time. I used to guest host the Bill Press show when it was a TV show all the time in D.C. It's home away from home. My dad first took me there when I was six years old as a present for my first communion. We went down there together and he took me to all the big sites and I love it. I've always wanted to take my child there, but I made a promise that I wouldn't take him there until America had a president. And we finally got a president, but there has been COVID. I hope to take him there sometime this year. So I'm waiting online outside the Hilton International Hotel. And I got to tell you, um, I, I, I started to get the heebie-jeebies, not over COVID, but over the media types. I, I was standing right next to Kim Kardashian when she entered with Pete Davidson. And I swear to God, the way the media types were fawning over her, it made me, I, I just, I, I could hear Walter Cronkite screaming from the grave. And I was texting with our friend Brian Karam, the journalist, who wasn't there. And I was saying, you know, my God, I've been to a lot of award shows when I lived in Hollywood. I never knew how much dignity the Grammys have. I, I owe the Golden Globes audience a huge apology. I, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't expect it to be a star fucker super spreader. Again, I walked in there very cynical. I thought, this is the Washington Press Corps. They're going to be dignified. They were star fuckers. I mean, you know. Congressmen would walk by and they were they were celebrities. Lloyd Austin came in. No one recognized him. <laughs> but a Fox News personality walks by and everyone wants a selfie. And it was just all chummy and everything negative you ever heard about it. Right. Everything negative you've ever heard about the White House Correspondents Dinner. I was in a lousy mood. I thought, my God, now I've got to become a Republican because I hate the media. I was writing the most cynical jokes. I thought, God, never coming here was the only smart decision of Donald Trump's entire presidency. You know, it was like all the people who don't ask hard questions so they can get easy access. And, and you know, who am I? I'm nobody. It was the who's who of D.C., and I was like the who's he of the who's who. 
And, and you know, people are nice. They, a lot of people saying, love your tweets. And, and I, the security guy who wanted me complimented me on my stand-up. And, and I went in there begrudgingly, and I thought, okay, let's just get through this. I'm, be, I'm being a curmudgeon. I got to just enjoy it. It's, it's exciting to be in the room with all these people. And I just kicked COVID. You know, I had COVID all of April, and I had to have a negative test before I could even go. So I knew I was swimming in antibodies. I figured I'll be okay. But folks, nobody wearing masks, like 2,000 people in the room. The only people wearing masks were the staff who was serving everybody. But the, again, the show finally started, and I sat at a table with some wonderful people from SiriusXM. Uh, I was sitting next to Michelle Collins, the great comic and former host of The View, who has a show here on Sirius, who I just love. She's done this show a bunch. Hadn't seen her in two years. I was sitting next to Michelangelo Signorelli and Dino Badala, who I haven't seen in two years. And honestly, being around friends again, being around people I admire and respect, it was so good for my heart. Just being out in a crowd. And once the show began, in a few minutes, and I mean a few minutes, all my cynicism washed away. Because the show wasn't about the media. The show was about journalism. It was really about journalism. About journalists who have achieved great things. Uh, like giving an award to all the journalists who worked on the Pandora Papers. I couldn't believe it. Look, Looking at the young journalists who were going to college who were getting awards. And then they had a video tribute to all the journalists who've been killed in Ukraine. And it just reminded me of what I always talk about on the air, you know, that we have to distinguish real journalists from profit-driven media. And then Joe Biden got up to speak. And guys, he was dynamite. He was impressive. He was moving. And the jokes were tight. I want to play a couple. Here's Joe Biden at the Correspondence Center taking a swipe at Donald Trump. I'm really excited to be here tonight with the only group of Americans with a lower approval rating than I have. That's hard to say after what we just saw. This is the first time the president attended this dinner in six years. It's understandable. We had a horrible plague followed by two years of COVID. Oh, oh, the mood in the room got crazy. I did not expect jokes that tight from Joe Biden. And here's the thing. You could tell he was having a good time. I kept thinking, why was Donald Trump so afraid to do this? Why doesn't Donald Trump just come here and take his lumps and tell some jokes at other people's expense? Donald Trump did Comedy Central roast. He could have handled this. Here's Joe Biden. This is A6, Captain, celebrating this large event where vaccinations and testing were required for everyone even the Fox News crew. I know, there are, I know there are questions about whether we should gather here tonight because of COVID. Well, we're here to show the country that we're getting through this pandemic. Plus, everyone had to prove they were fully vaccinated and boosted. So if you're at home watching this and you're wondering how to do that, just contact your favorite Fox News reporter. They're all here, vaccinated and boosted. All of them. <laughs> it was great. You could hear the entire room went crazy for that. And they scanned the cameras over to the Fox News table and nobody was clapping. And by the way, most of Fox News's staff stayed home. Uh, Peter Ducey was there because he'll show up anywhere. Um, I want to play one more Biden clip. This is Biden on the Republican Party and uh, future speaker Kevin McCarthy. 
I'm not really here to roast the GOP. That's not my style. Besides, there's nothing I can say about the GOP that Kevin McCarthy hasn't already put on tape. It was really fun. And by this time, I'd already been so moved by the tribute to real journalists and by the montage of everyone who lost their life, bringing the story of what's happening in Ukraine, that um, by the time Trevor Noah took the stage, you know, I was always I was already afraid. Oh, my God, I wouldn't want to follow a <laughs> an opening act as strong as Joe Biden. Uh, here's Trevor Noah, who really made a running gag out of pretending Ron DeSantis was in the audience. He kept saying, right, Ron, right, Ron. He wasn't there. But Trevor Noah just acted like he was. A4. There's many big names here tonight. Yeah, one of my favorites, Ron DeSantis is here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'm actually surprised that he found the time. You know, he's been so busy trying to outmaneuver Trump for 2024. I see you, Ron. I see you, Flair. Yeah, I've seen what you've been doing, blaming Trump for the lockdowns, distancing yourself from the vaccines that Trump created with his own two hands. Nobody knew how to make vaccines until I made them. Beautiful, beautiful vaccines. Nobody knew how. Not even Fauci. (laughs) But Ron, Ron is playing it coy, man. He won't even tell people if he got the booster, yeah. Or as they say in Florida, don't ask, don't tell. Am I right? I'll see you, Ron. <laughs> Ron was not there. People next to me at my table were like, is, is he here? Is he here? But <laughs> Trevor just picked a spot in the crowd and just kept pointing to it. Here he is uh, talking about the Waffle House qualities of Fox News programming. I'm really excited because the kings of cable are here. Fox News in the house, yeah. The top rated news network for the past, what, 300 years? Killing it. And I know Fox has a bad reputation. I even feel you tense up now when I talk about them. They really do crush it. You know, I think they get a bad rap because it's a mixed bag. You know, they actually have really good journalists. It just depends on when you watch. Right? Fox News is sort of like a waffle house. Yeah, it's relatively normal in the afternoon, but as soon as the sun goes down, there's a drunk lady named Janine threatening to fight every Mexican who comes in. You can throw me out. I know the real president. <laughs> so overall, I thought it was a wonderful event. Uh, I walked away completely humbled and really, really moved by how much fun it was. And everything you hear that's negative, of course, it's way too convivial and they're too chummy with the president. And I still think Colbert did the best speech ever when he just took on the entire press corps for slavishly devoting themselves to, you know, pumping up Bush and his war. But I got to tell you, so much of the evening was about the threat to free speech, the threat to journalism, both from Putin and from the fascists right here, that uh, ultimately it turned my whole attitude around. And I was really, really glad I went. I didn't go to any after parties because I had to be on a 6, 10 a.m. train the next morning back to New York to take my horrible child to swim class. But uh, it was great, and thank you for having me. And um, I just kept thinking, my God, this is a lot better than what they have in Russia. Can you imagine the Kremlin Correspondents' Dinner? You go there, I mean, they don't give you an award, they, they poison you. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A spy in plain sight goes into the facts surrounding what's been called the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history, and that's the case of Robert Hansen a Russian spy who was embedded in our FBI for two decades. He evaded all kinds of suspicion. It's an amazing story. They've made movies about it. Uh, There have been stories told about it, but this is so exhaustively researched. And in all of her conversations, uh, Lise Wheel was trying to figure out how he did it and at what cost. But she also really makes it very relevant to our national security today. Could there be another spy in the system? Uh, Could the presence of a spy be even greater now than ever before? She was a federal prosecutor and the daughter of an FBI agent, and she has a unique inside perspective, and she brings her experience and the lessons of her upraising into this remarkable exploration of the case. Again, maybe you saw the movie about it a couple of years ago, but Lise Wheel, again, a terrific legal analyst I've enjoyed for years on NPR, NBC, CNN, goes deep into the facts surrounding the case of Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy. What a pleasure to welcome Lise Wheel to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. It's great to be with you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us so late in the evening. I know how busy it's been for you. And I know you kept really busy because you wound up doing a lot of the work uh, during COVID lockdown, right? I did. Yeah. I uh, spent about two and a half years in total, I think, researching the book. And I was just in the real the Mitzvah, they're really the beginning of it still, um, trying to, you know, do my sleuthing and try to find where these these uh, retired FBI agents were and, and CIA agents that are still operative now. And and I think people had a little more time on their hands. <laughs> um, so they didn't hang the phone quite so quickly on me. And of course, I always led with, you know, my dad was an FBI agent and could look him up. And, you know, and I, I treated the FBI fairly, I think, in a book that I did about the Unabomber. So, yeah. I, you know, they, they they wouldn't just hang up necessarily, but I think the that if the fact that everybody was on lockdown at home um, made them a little bit more of a captive audience for me. It's a bit surprising to me how much this story has faded from the front of the public memory. I mean, uh, William Hurt played Hanson uh, in in the movie a few years back, a um, friend of this show, right. the late, great William Hurt. And um, I got to compliment you on finding a way not just to tell the story, but to retell it and make it more gripping than ever. You really talked to a lot of people who were there uh, and people, CIA agents, both past and present and, and the people who were closest to him. Before we even dive into your excellent work, I just want to I just want to ask you if you can refresh the public's memory about why Robert Hansen was so infamous in the first place and why this was, as the DOJ described it, the worst intelligence disaster in U.S. history. Sure. I mean, this is a guy that started working for the FBI in the early 1980s, and within a year of his working for the agency, for the Bureau, I should say, um, he contacts the Russians. They don't have to flip him. He contacts them, writes them a letter. He doesn't say that I'm Robert Hansen of the FBI, but he says I'm at very high level and I can you know, get you information. At this point, he is in the counter-espionage 
division, the Russian division, and soon will head it uh, for, you know, our country. And, you know, they're in charge of seeing where Russian assets are. Russian assets are people that we flip that are working for us in Russia or it could be North Korea, China, you know, wherever you're assigned. Um, and one of his first intel to the Russians is about this guy that we've had as, a, as an informant for a long time mm-hmm. and one of our best people. And once the Russians find out about this, of course, well, I say of course, but what they do is they execute him and they yeah. execute him in a particularly brutal way. And they make a videotape of it, you know, to deter other potential would-be spies in Russia. So he starts that, you know, progress. He spies for 20 years, giving out information about assets and not also information about our top nuclear secrets, I mean, and other operations that the Russians are then able to foil. He does this for 20 minutes, for 20 minutes. I wish it would have been 20 minutes. <laughs> I wish. 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Um, at one point, he's caught by his wife, and then that just gets sort of buried, and, and he goes on, and he's able to do this for 20 years in plain sight of the FBI, um, is finally caught in 2001. They took the, the, our government took the death penalty off the table in exchange for life without right. possibility of parole, but his giving over you know, to, to our intelligence the secrets that he had potentially given to the Russians. So it's a it's a real fiasco, and you know, sadly, the FBI had the proverbial ed- egg on its face because it didn't want to look internally. You know, exactly. they knew they had a mole at some point, but they didn't want to look internally. They didn't think it could be one of them. Exactly, and the FBI uh, didn't do background checks back then, which is one of the most fascinating parts of your book for me. Well, they do. The, they did the background check at the beginning, yeah. right when you're first hired. But, uh, for example, I was a federal prosecutor for all of five years, and in my fifth year, they would do another background check. Well, that's post-Hanson because, you know, they just didn't, they didn't do background checks on people um, once they passed them the first time. And that seems to me crazy because, again, you know, things can change in your life. Maybe when you start and you sign, you weren't susceptible to blackmail, but changes in your life circumstances have made it so that now you are. That's right. Or, you know, there's lots of different reasons. Or uh, random polygraphs or drug tests. You know, I mean, I knew every day I walked in as a federal prosecutor, um, I could be drug tested or I could be polygraphed. Those things have been instituted, but it took a while. It took a pantsum for that to happen. There's so much to unpack from your book and so many questions I have for you. And I, I want to commend you on your research for this. I mean, you you went to a lot of great sources. You got his brother-in-law who tried to turn him in, his mm-hmm. best friend. You talked to his therapist, the widow of the agent yeah. that this was almost pinned on. I'm curious, Miss Wheel, what, what expectations did you have about the story going in and what surprised you? No expectations other than I wanted to get an accurate historical account of what happened with this, with this strange beast of a person, right? I mean, just, I wanted to understand the motivation and what was going on. I mean, I, I study criminals. It's one of the things I've done as a prosecutor and as a legal analyst. I wanted to figure out why he did what he did and then how it could have gone on for so long. So those are my primary curiosities, I guess, when I yeah. got into it. But what did shock me, I mean, truly did shock me, sadly, was that when I would ask all of these people that you referenced, and many, many more, many of them agents, 
many of them still within the Bureau or the agency. And I said, could there be another Hanson today? Mm-hmm. And they all said to a person, you would think that, you know, it's very hard to ask the same question to get everybody to agree. But they all said yes. And many of them followed up with, and there probably already is. Of course. Now, this is before the, you know, Russia and Ukraine that we're involved in right now. This was, you know, a year or two ago when I was researching it, and I was just shocked. And now I'm, now I'm shocked and I'm pained, and I'm a little scared because that's, that's pretty scary stuff, given our current cir- circumstance and situation with Russia. Of course. And again, I mean, this was all during the Cold War at the height of it, when it was even scarier. And of course, we have our spies over there. This has gone on as long as men have run governments and gangs as well. One of the things that I really took away was that um, this was before we had the the common diagnosis of disassociative disorder. And I found Mm -hmm. Hansen's psychology to be utterly fascinating. This man had a severe double life and not just at his job. No, absolutely. His personal life as well. I mean, he, he converted to Catholicism when he married his wife, Bonnie. They had five children. They moved to a Westchester in, in Scarsdale, you know, and that was a lot for him to afford on an FBI salary, plus the private school for the five kids. Yep. So there was all, you know, there were always money issues. Um, but yes, he, he purported himself to be devout Catholic. In fact, Opus Dei, um, and, you know, church going, went to mass every day and five beautiful children, beautiful wife, all of that. And then at the office, not only would he tout all of those things, but then he would say, you know, those, those commies are godless people and he hated the commies, mm-hmm. you know, all the while exchanging flowery letters with his Soviet handler. You know, he became, became embraced by the Soviets. They played him, I would say. But it it was disassociative or sociopathic, whichever label you want to put on it. Um, He knew darn well what he was doing, and he knew darn well what he was doing was wrong. So it wasn't sort of incapacity or insanity as far as we would describe it in the legal system. But certainly, you know, just double life is a a complete understatement. (laughs) Well, and his personal life as well. I walked away from this very fascinated by, by his wife and... I mean, this was a man who was a severe conservative Catholic who was essentially sending a co-worker pornographic photos of his wife and wanted to drug his wife for his friend to have his way with her while still putting out the face of being the severe Catholic. Exactly. And this was his friend, Jack Hoshauer, who's still his best friend to this day. And uh, he sent Jack pictures of of Bonnie, his wife, in pornographic situations. Now, she didn't pose for any of this. She didn't know either, A, she didn't know the pictures were being taken, or B, she thought they were just for her husband. But he sent these off to him and to Jack and said, you know, we could do all sorts of things and I won't go into it. But it it was just, it was pretty disgusting. I mean, for, for anybody, and especially for this supposedly devout Catholic, um, Bonnie catches him, by the way, at one point. And she, she catches him by finding money in a, like a sock drawer that they had and seeing all this cash. And, and she confronts him saying, you know, I know this is for your mistress. You know, you're keeping a mistress. And there, that was the other part of him too. Yeah. You know, he may or may not have had a couple of affairs, but he says, oh, no, no, it's not a mistress. I'm just buying for the Russians. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> 
It's like, okay, Bonnie. But anyway, so they go to their priest, and this was upsetting to me. Um, The priest says, you know, that's terrible. Don't spy again. But I'll pretty much absolve you of it if you just give the earnings you've made so far to to the church. And so Hanson does. Hanson gives over some of the money that he's made. (laughs) <laughs> and he stops buying for a little bit, but he takes it right back up again. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it does seem that he did have a, a real struggle. I found it fascinating, the details of his relationship, if you will, with, with his girlfriend, if you will, the, the, the stripper, who he never seems right. to have actually had sex with. And it seems like for him, that was the line he couldn't cross. Like, that was the moral line that he had to not cross to tell himself he was still a good guy. He could he could exploit his wife. He could sell his country out. He could get other spies literally murdered gruesomely overseas. But he wouldn't close the deal sexually with his girlfriend. And it seems like that yeah. was the rationale he gave himself. And very, very strange. And he would, you know, put her on a different flight, but they would go to the same place and they were together. And he did tell one of his friends, it may have been Jack, he said that he did have sex with her, but it was the worst he'd ever had or something like that. And maybe it was only once, you know. So again, yeah, justifying things all the time. Well, the ultimate justification is when I spoke with a psychiatrist, Dr. Dr. David Charney, and Charney said, look, one of the motivations other than money and, and, you know, glamour and all that, supposed glamour, was this idea, this twisted idea that by exposing our weaknesses in the American government to the Russians, we would then have to shore up those weaknesses, you know, um, and thereby making ourselves a better country. Now, that is warp thinking right? that doesn't make any kind of logical sense. But you have to get kind of into the mind of a Hanson or a criminal to think like that. If you're just joining us, my guest is author Lee Wheel. Her excellent and gripping new book is A Spy in Plain Sight, the inside story of the FBI and Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy. This is one of those rarest of books, which is a, a great gift for your conservative or your progressive loved one. So congratulations. Um, I- I'm curious, what did you... Th- find in your research might have been the motivating factors for this strict Catholic conservative who despised the Russians to betray his country? Was it just the money or did a part of him get off on the thrill of it? Yes, yes and yes. It it was certainly the money. Um, As I said, you know, he lived in Scarsdale. That's a lot to afford on an FBI salary, five kids, private school. So money was always an issue. But I don't believe money was the sole motivating factor. It may not have been the primary one because he he was a disgruntled employee. He didn't feel like he was appreciated with his colleagues at the FBI. He didn't really fit in with his colleagues. He was kind of all dressed in black, and they always said he had a dour expression. They called him a mortician, they being his colleagues that remember him. So he didn't really fit in. He felt like he was the smartest guy in the room and wanted to show that off, you know, so narcissistic. Um, And his best friend told me that, you know, since he was a little kid, he just idolized James Bond, everything James Bond Mm. from the gadgets to, you know, the rescuing damsel in distress to all of that, to the excitement of it. So you, um, you put all of that together into this kind of, you know, melting pot, whatever. And, 
money is a big factor, but it's not the only factor. And, and the other thing is that really has hit me as I've been working on this is that the traits I've just you know, talked about or motivations, if you will, are, were peculiar to Hanson at the time, but they're not peculiar to humankind, right? Yes. I mean, there are a lot of people walking around that don't feel appreciated at work and, you know, would like to look for love and family somewhere else, you know, mm. and who think they're smarter than everybody else and their colleagues aren't really that smart and who need money. I mean, so you put someone like that in a high-level counter-espionage division, again, that's, you know, people are people. Even in the FBI, there's still human beings there. Right. Um, you know, I, I was also curious about how he did it, because it's it's important to remember when going through the book and the details of it, this was all pre-digital. He was obviously right. a gr- big computer guy for the FBI, and, and they admired his skill, but this was <laughs> way pre-internet. He didn't have flash drives to store information on. This guy was Xeroxing documents and just taking them right out. How did yeah. he ex- how, how did he do it? How did he execute his drops? Well, he would the communications with the Russians were always by letter. They never met him. In fact, they didn't know his identity until the rest of the world did. Um, they just knew they were dealing with somebody with top level information. So they were letters to the Russians, you know, t- typed out letters, um, not emails. And then, as you said, he would go out from his office to a Xerox machine and copy this top secret stuff off and put, in his, put it in his briefcase and put it in the trunk of his car and drive home. And then he would dictate to the Russians. He always was the man with the plan. He would dictate to the Russians where the drops would be. And by drops, I mean taking the actual information, you know, these sheets of paper and putting them into some kind of envelope, having a time set with the Russians where um, a time and place, and it would be very low tech, like the drop is ready. In other words, I've made my drop when I put the, a, a tape across a tree in a white tape in a vertical fashion or horizontal fashion, you can pick it up or you know, vice versa, depending right. on the drop. Very low tech. Um, so in some ways, it's easier to spy now because you can just put it on a thumb, thumb drive mm-hmm. or you put it up in the cloud. So it's easier. It's, I guess it's more difficult because you're going to leave a digital footprint behind but if you're the guy looking at the footprint as Hansen was when they finally figured out they had a mole and started looking internally right Hansen was in charge of all the computers so he was looking at the search <laughs> uh, I, I, is that is that how he these actions went undetected for two decades it's incredible the people in charge of investigations weren't able to investigate themselves they weren't. They just, and, and they'll admit it now. I mean, Mike Rochford, the, the guy that, who was in charge of the, the pump that finally brought him down, you know, they admit, and it's hard for the FBI to do so, but they admit that they made mistakes and have tried to, you know, shore things up since then. But it was, it just was so long and he was not a masterful spy. I mean, he, he, I'll give you another, I'll give you an example. He hacked into one of his colleagues' computers, and they caught him because they, you know, caught him right hand. He said, oh, well, I'm doing that because I'm showing you the weakness in our system, and so now we know how we can fix it. I'm just, sh- I just showing you how quickly you can be hacked into. Wow. I mean, if that didn't raise a red flag, or, as you mentioned, when his brother-in-law, also an FBI agent, 
who'd heard about the money in the drawer um, scenario from his wife and who'd also heard about his sister talking about retiring with Robert to Poland right in the middle of the you know Cold War, um, went to the supervisor and said, you know, my brother-in-law, I mean, I'm not saying he's a mole, but, you know, there's some really kind of crazy things going on, suspicious anyway. And I spoke with both the brother-in-law and I spoke with the supervisor that the brother-in-law talked with, and they have very two very different stories about what happened during right. that conversation. So whether he actually turned him in or not, I don't know. But that's what his brother-in-law has said and is sticking to for all these all these years. I'm I'm curious. Um, what were the terms of the deal that Mr. Hansen made to save his life and and get life imprisonment? I know his his wife got to keep his pension, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. First of all, the death penalty was on the table because it's you know espionage. It's being a traitor. You can be executed for that. It's you know, right up there with murder is one of one of those really bad crimes you don't want to do. Um, not that I'm asking anyone telling anyone there's good crimes out there, <laughs> but uh, but you know what I'm saying. So yeah. they said, oh, we'll take we'll take the death penalty off the table and give you life in prison without the possibility of parole, but you need to, as part of your plea agreement, come clean with us. And they debriefed him for you know dozens of hours over a course of a year when this whole plea agreement was, was happening. Um, did they get everything? Probably because he wouldn't want to jeopardize his life at that point and Bonnie's life because he said, okay, I'll deal, but you got to, you know, not charge Bonnie, his wife and yeah, pay her my pension. Amazing. So we, the tax dollars are paying for uh, Bonnie's, pension even today and she still hasn't divorced him that's she's right still, she's still with him yeah she still visits him Still with him goes to visit what's it like ms wheel for someone who gets 23 hours of solitary a day what what is what does inmate hansen's life look like it's i mean i've only been to a couple of supermaxes and they're really they're rough i mean they're meant for the worst of the worst and if you're in solitary confinement in one of those supermax prisons, I mean, you're not seeing, you're literally not seeing sky for, but for one hour a day. And during that one hour, I mean, Unabomber's hanging out there too. So I don't know what his conversations would be like with Ted Kaczynski, but, um, <laughs> you know, could be very strange. I'd like to be that, you know, proverbial fly on the wall. Um, and he has no possibility of getting out. All the people I spoke with, nobody knew of anyone within any of those circles that visited him other than Bonnie, his wife, that has apparently gone. But wow. I don't think he gets, I don't think his kids visit. I think it's just, just his wife. And of course, the people who, whose identities he revealed got a lot worse than that. Um, yeah. And, and before I let you go, I, at all. exactly. I do want to ask what surprised you the most in your research? Um, I, I was surprised that they missed, they being the FBI, missed, as I call them, all these puffs of smoke and these clues that were dropped like little breadcrumbs and that they were so stubborn not to look internally. That has changed and, and, and they have taken account for it. And I have a lot of respect for line agents out there every single day doing, you know, 
God's work to pe- keep us safe, right? I mean, my, that's, that was my dad. Yeah. Um, but it's something like this that just, you know, we, ha- we have to, and, and the FBI agents have told me there's another, you know, there's potentially another one now. All right, now that we know that, or you're saying that, or you admit that to yourself, let's, let's try not to have it happen again. You know, let's mm-hmm. try to make sure that that doesn't happen and implement whatever you need to do to implement. Um, but do it, you know, and let's not sit in our laurels and be lax about it. So I'm hoping that this book is kind of a push and a reminder, hey, you know, we remember. So let's not have that happen again, please. Thank you very much, especially right now in today's world. Your timing was most prescient in publishing this book. Uh, It's more fascinating than ever, and I thank you for joining us. It's a real, real amazing story, and I was surprised at how much I had forgotten about it. It's been a long time since the William Hurd movie. Lise Wheel, thank you so much for joining us. Really a pleasure to talk to you. It's an amazing story. A spy in plain sight, the inside story of the FBI and Robert Hansen, America's most damaging Russian spy, on sale now. Thanks for joining us on the show. Got it. Thanks so much. Anytime. Right on. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back, and it's going to be open phones for your calls all the way till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. There's a lot to get to, and I want to know your thoughts about the leak that the Supreme Court, majority of five right-wing justices, have already written their opinion, destroying Roe v. Wade as we know it. 